back that little intro out and we'll see if we can get back to more things of great substance as it were roger sales back with you solo here until you call in and if you want to call in by the way entertain your calls certainly uh and that uh, number is 512-248-8252 i'm pretty sure and boy i'll tell you what didn't have to leave that one that hook out there for long sam who we got on the line there Scott in Nevada, you won't even let me get into my story here, Scott. How you doing today? I'm doing okay, Roger. I never ask people that question, but, you know, you never know. My dog just got hit by a drunk driver, that kind of stuff. No, I don't know. Anyway, right. hey, um, well, that, last call, that last caller really got me thinking, and I had to go look some stuff up, and guess what I found? And I, I like California law. I, I like to look at it because it, it, everything's right in front of you. But you can oh. get a non-U.S. citizen driver's license in California. Oh, sure. All you got to do is present your matricula card. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you could do it with a passport. And it, so do your process first with state. And then uh, the non-resident aspect. What I have discovered, I mean, quite some time back, and I was pointed in the right direction by others, but if you look up the definition of resident and oh, look up oh, the definition of in this state, you're, can I run this you real quick? You're right in my wheelhouse here, buddy. This is the most dangerous okay. word in the whole New World Order scheme we're concentrating on right here. Resident. Go ahead. Let me run it by you. Okay, so the definition in the tax code, that uh, over a dozen times, it defines the term, which means it's a legal phrase, in this state means within the exterior boundaries of the state of California and includes all territory owned by or ceded to the United States. And there's another one that says United States of America, but there's dozens of these definitions, right? I know so, there is, but let's go back and concentrate where we are right here at the original yeah. one, because that's the one they're using, not the one you're talking about. Okay. The concept of the, the concept of residency, and if you dig deep enough on the net, you'll find it referenced, okay, is from ambassadorial law. Yeah, sure. When countries sign a treaty and exchange ambassadors, each country's ambassador in the other country is, quote, unquote, in residence. Now, what does that mean? Okay. That means that the laws of the country they're in don't apply to them, but the laws in the country they're from apply to them in residence. So when they ask you that question, are you a resident, what they're really technically asking you is are you a federal citizen living in one of the states seeking protection under the 14th Amendment for new federal citizens against any potential actions against you by your state. That's the technical legal way this is being used. Okay. Uh, that's a, a long sentence or, or a, a short paragraph. Well, it's a con it's a concept and it's something that not many people are exposed to. If you dig deep enough, you'll find it. But the only reason I know this stuff is because I had a guy named John W. Benson as my law teacher who had studied this stuff his whole lifetime. Okay. Now hear me out. And if you want to take a note, look it up. But go to California Revenue and Taxation Code four one zero zero five. It's a, definite, a definition of in this state. Uh, California Revenue and Taxation Code 60017 is another definition. And it's interesting to note, it refers to the exterior boundaries, which are only defined in the 1849 Constitution. So I think they run parallel. You're, you're, when you say resident, you're telling them you're a citizen of Washington, D.C. or under the laws of Washington, D.C. That's what you're telling them. Boundaries don't have anything to do with it. Okay. Now, I can tell I'm going to point you. I'm going to point you to an authoritative source. You okay. go to a law library. There's a group of law books in there called Words and Phrases. Okay. It's a wonderful research tool. 
And what they do is go through all these different court cases and they pull out important keywords and phrases that have been used and they show you all the court sites where it's been used, okay? And I went to the law library years ago and looked up under the term resident. And one of the court cases said this, anytime the word resident is used in any legal context, its definition is always legal. Okay. Do you have an email I can send you something? Sure. Radio Ranch at Radio Ranch No Space at mail.com. But you gonna send me this California stuff? Wait a minute, it's two pages on something we used using this material and you didn't let me finish. The definition of resident in this tax code, every individual yeah. who is in this state for right. other than a temporary or transitory purpose. So if you're not on soil ceded to or owned by the United States of the United States or the United States of America, two different entities, then you're not a resident. Well, that's wrong. That, you told them you're a resident. They're, you're a resident from birth. That's the story I was going to get into with the birth certificate. Okay. This is a status okay. that's assigned to you at birth according okay. to where you're born, not who your parents were, Scott. Okay, Radio, radio Ranch what? Two words, no space, at mail, M-A-I-L dot com. Yeah. At mail dot com. But see, resident, you're you're trying to say it has something to do inside the state of California with taxes and the geographical boundary, okay? In California state taxes, if you don't owe any federal taxes, you don't owe any California state taxes because you pay California state income tax off the figures on your 1040 form. That's correct. If you don't why, owe any why, federal, you don't owe any state, no matter what they say there. Well, why did you file a federal 1040? Well, I don't. I haven't in 30 years. Okay. Well, you know, I'm going to send you some material that okay. uh, has worked. Keep it to yourself for now. You can always email me back and we can discuss it. Okay, Roger. I'll what talk to worked, you worked, hold on, Scott. Worked doing what? You say it's worked. It's worked doing what? <laughs> Watch. Uh, I'll send you an email. You take a look at it. Okay. You, uh, okay. If I've got okay, the fine. time. Okay. Right. It's two. It's two pages, man. Okay. Like okay. I said, if if I have the time. Thanks for calling. Okay. So I'm going to get back to my story here about the birth certificate and the reason these kind of fine points look kind of like what we hit on there right in that conversation are important. Now, this comes straight from the hospital that I'm telling you. It's not my information. I'm a conduit. But I'm telling you what the hospital told this guy named Brian, one of my better students, a fearless guy who went in. He was he was real hung up on the fact that he thought the birth certificate was some nexus to this system, and it's not. Okay, It represents the nexus, but it's not the nexus. And our community as a whole, the Patriot Legal community, has been hung up on that for the whole 30 years I've been in it. Okay, and, and what's the big piece that's missing is people don't and haven't understood. We're talking about the feudal system here. How did they get to the feudal system? This process that the hospital told my student, Brian. Okay, so he goes into the hospital in tow with his two young daughters, cut offs, flip flops, T-shirt, very nonchalant. Goes in, goes up to the third floor in the administrative part of the hospital. It's right there in Austin, Texas. It's one of them. I don't know which one. Okay. But he goes up to the administrative floor and he starts bugging the lady up there, at whoever waits on people that come up there. And he's telling her that he said, well, I'm trying to build a folder. And he had two folders with him. I'm trying to build a folder for my daughters of their important birth information so that should they need it later in life, they can easily access it. Good cover story. Okay. And so the lady bore with him and he kept asking her questions. She finally went back in a, in a room with file cabinets, I guess, and was back there a few minutes and came back with a piece of paper. And it was a piece of paper that was headed at the top. And I'm not sure if it's this way in every state, but it is in Texas. Okay. And at the very top, the heading of the paper said verification of facts. They call it a VOF, verification of facts. Underneath that, was all of the information from the child's birth, how much they weighed, how big they were, what color their eyes and hair were, et cetera, et cetera. At the bottom of that form, there was a place where it could be signed by the mother and the father, and it was unsigned. And so he kept badgering the lady, and finally she did get aggravated. And she said, look, I'm going to send you down to the basement where all this is done. 
And so he goes, okay. So he goes down, same deal, daughter's in tow, same story, looking to fill these folders up with this important document. And the lady at the, the counter said, uh, wait a minute. And she goes off for about 10 minutes, he said, okay, pretty long time. And she comes back to the counter, and the very first words out of her mouth were, you're not going to hold anything I tell you against us, are you? At which point he said, of course not. But a pretty unusual response, don't you think? So she then tells him the process from the people at the hospital that do the process. When the child is born, this VOF, this verification of fact sheet, is generated. All of the birth information that's important is put on there. There are spaces to be signed by the mother and the father. It's never signed by either. We'll come back to that. At which point, the information is the VOF is taken over to a computer terminal, of which we find there's one in every hospital in the country placed there by the federal government. They input the information from the verification of facts into a a very crude, evidently elementary operating system, just kind of like almost an old DOS system. The information is input into the computer, from whence it's transferred to the Bureau of Vital Statistics. The Bureau of Vital Statistics prints the birth certificate, and when it's printed, it's put into a bank safe with armed guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, that's the process that the lady at the hospital that's in charge of it or associated with that department told my students. So what's important about it not being signed by the mother and the father? There's only two ways to transfer hereditament in the history of the planet. It's either by the blood of your parents, called it's called just sanguineous, by blood, sangui in Spanish is blood, just sanguineous, and the other is just, law is just in, in Latin, just tierra, or land. Either it's transferred through the blood of the parents, or it's transferred by where you're born. And that's how they're bringing the feudal system in here. That little wrinkle right there, assigning a political status at birth, according to where you're born, not who your parents were or are, is the connection to the feudal system. Now, you know, as we said, you can't think like we think and do this stuff. you got to be able to think like they think, okay? I didn't say you had to think like they do, but I said you do have to know how they think. And they think the way of, we got this key element of the feudal system in and the 14th Amendment, all persons born, we got that in there. So because that was such a key element of the feudal system for a thousand years of legal precedent, by the way, okay, because in that system, when you volunteered into servitude and had children, they were born into the same condition you were born into. So whoever originally voluntarily went into a condition of servitude as the generations were born. And that gave the incentive to the Lord of the manor to keep the place sane because he wanted those people to stay. They didn't want to have to go out continually and acquire slaves. That would be the involuntary servitude category, of which was only in Europe, by the way. That category was never in England. You know, England has a, something I just realized recently when uh, my friend Bert Winters and I were talking one day. See, England has a thing called the Free Soil Doctrine. There was a famous case about a guy from Virginia or one of the colonies took his slave to England, and the minute the slave was educated a little bit, and the minute he hit England, he bolted because there's a free slave doctrine. There can't be any slavery in England, all right? And uh, it went a very famous case over there in England on this free slave doctrine, a free soil doctrine. So you get and an involuntary serf in the feudal system was very akin to a black slave in our 
ideas of slavery in our country and our country's history. All right. So England had a free soil doctrine. They couldn't have involuntary serfs. They could only have voluntary serfs. And in fact, if you've read my book, because some of those excerpts are in there, or you've ever heard us talk about, uh, or, or it's particularly evident in a in a very famous dissent in U.S. versus Wong Kim Ark, where the the two justices, John Harlan, the great dissenter, and Chief Justice Fuller, who's Chief Justice of the Supreme Court for hell over ten years, okay, they were in the dissent, and they literally laid out that this is the Fourteenth Amendment, the feudal system in that little key dissent, okay? And so in England, in in that dissent, they call it the English common law version of slavery because even though it was voluntary, you were an object of their property rights, okay? And that was a key element of that system because it allowed the manor to perpetuate its workforce, without having to constantly acquire slaves. That's the underlying silent contract here. We are in a contract situation with these people, but we didn't volunteer. They volunteered us after the bankruptcy. They get your voluntary assessment of this by asking you those two questions. Are you a citizen of the United States? And just what Scott was talking about, are you a resident? You know, you can go into Webster's law, Webster's Collegiate Dictionary and look under resident, okay, or, and it'll say, the first definition says, the act or fact of living or dwelling in a place for some time. The second, this isn't a Collegiate Dictionary, folks, okay? The second definition says, the act or fact of living or dwelling in a place for some time. The exact same definition, except for the benefit of, for the, uh, for, for the uh, uh, acquiring of a benefit or the discharge of a duty. That's the legal definition. And it has nothing to do with geography except countries and bodies of law. Because generally, what the term resident means is what system of law are you under? I'm, I'm in Ecuador. I would, had a visa when I first got here. It expired right when COVID hit, so I couldn't get it renewed. And I'm here illegally now because of that and because they changed some of the rules and stuff, and I don't qualify like I did when I got here a couple of years ago. Okay, And so they've now got a special program in Ecuador. It's only for two months. I'm in the process of getting my passport renewed right now, Melissa, government-issued, because I've got to have a current passport to take advantage of this program they've got in Ecuador, which for two months, anybody in country, it's mainly for Venezuelans and a lot of the other refugee types that are here, not necessarily for Americans, but I fit into this little gap. Okay, And for two months, they will waive a lot of the requirements, and I'll get back on a residency deal. Now, why is that important? Okay. It's not important to me necessarily. I could stay here and it'd be fine. But should my elderly mother, something happen to her, I'd certainly want to fly home and be involved in all that. And as it stands, being illegal here at this point, I would have to pay a fine when I left, and then I wouldn't be able to come back for a minimum of nine months. Now, why do they want you to be a resident in all these countries? I told Scott, that's a great word here, resident. You probably do the whole rest of the program on it, okay? But I have come to the conclusion over my years of in-depth study and involvement in this that the term resident is the most important word in the whole scheme of the New World Order. You'd think it would be citizen of the United States, but it's not. It's a resident, okay? Because resident, every country in the world wants you to be one. Why? Because then you're under the control of their laws. If you voluntarily want to reside, then they have legal control of you. When I was in Argentina, I was illegal almost the whole time I was down there, honestly. And you get caught, you know, you'd be pulled over for speeding or something. And all you have to say is, Turista, Turista. Oh, okay, and the cop gets frustrated and walks back to the car because he knows they can't pin any of the laws on you because you're there visiting. You're not a resident. 
Okay. And so that, that's what's going on around that word. And the other thing, back to the feudal system and the birth certificate, you see the birth certificate represents the condition they put you in at birth. The 14th Amendment doesn't say all persons with a birth certificate. It says all persons born. And that's the act of assigning a political status at birth, depending on where you're born. It's the, it's the scenario that if anybody in the sound of my voice and familiar with this, you've been in a cave somewhere, the term wa uh, anchor babies. Well, what's an anchor baby? Mama comes, you know, nine, nine months, just the oven's just, just ripe, and she gets across the Rio Grande and has the baby. Now the baby's a citizen of the United States, but the mom and the dad are Mexican nationals. She didn't get the nationality from Mexico transferred over there, but the child got citizen of the United States. Now, unfortunately, because the new infant is now a child of the United, a citizen of the United States and has access to the goodies, now mom and dad can come over and they can bring both of their extended families. But that's birthright citizenship, and that's where this nexus is. And the reason nobody in our community for 30 years has been able to navigate this is because they couldn't get or didn't know, mostly. It was the feudal system and this very, what appears to be a very tenuous connection, but our people don't think like they do. And a perfect example is, is the man whose shoes I'm filling right here, Ralph Winterout. Ralph, for all, all due credit, could not think outside the box. Okay, he, one of my students was had regular communications with Ralph, and he was trying to get our message over to Ralph. And so Ralph went and went to LexisNexis, and he searched Title 26. He came back and told my friend Chuck. He said, I couldn't find the term national in Title 26 anywhere. Well, no kidding. You think they want to put it in there? They put it in there in their jurisdictional statement as non-resident aliens. That's the national. doesn't matter what the label is. It's the concept underneath that's important. So there's a good example, and Ralph, bless his heart, he just had, he was an engineer by trade, and he had to look at things black and white like a schematic. And he did not have the knowledge, the insight, and the mastery to be able to think like his enemy and know that they tricked him right there in that whole search engine just by changing the label or whatever the concept was. Simple, simple, but boy, is that our, our community has been missing that as long as I've been in it. Because, see, we see labels. We want to read this law. We want to see it in black and white, just like Scott was reading to us out of these California codes. And we don't understand that things have been set up underneath. We just flat don't understand, and we don't think like that. And we've got to approach this issue that we're looking at in a little bit different perspective, and then we'll see it. Okay. I've often said it's like having your brain on a CAD cam, you know, one of those engineer uh, uh, architectural programs where you can take that building or that shape or whatever and just spin it all around. Well, that's how we need to look at these things. That's how you're going to find the answers because these guys we're dealing with are very skillful. They're sneaky. They're liars. They're sons of Satan, and they're incredibly skillful at treachery and deceit, incredibly skillful at it. Okay. So uh, the – Birth certificate, when it's generated in that story I told you, where did they put it? They put it in a bank safe? Well, why would you put a piece of paper in a bank safe with armed guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for God's sakes? Well, it must have some value, don't you think? Doesn't that make sense? So my teacher, John Benson, always thought, and I, as the, the deeper I get into this, I never see him be wrong in anything he thought and speculated on, first. Secondly, I see the operation of it and exactly what they're doing with it now. So the reason that they put it in a bank safe when it's generated at the Bureau of Vital Statistics is because it's your future income that's collateralized because that, that little scheme, when you're born, you're born in and assigned this political status as a surety for a fraudulent bankruptcy in 1933. And every generation since that day, after that switch, 
has been born into a condition of voluntary servitude because where they're born, they're assigning a political status. That brings the 14th Amendment in. That makes them an object of federal government's property rights. That allows them, via the birth certificate, to collateralize your future income. So the birth certificate is acting as two different personalities. One is the piece of paper that's got all the information about your birth or the child's birth. The other one underlying it is they're using it as a commercial document, not an admiralty law document, a commercial document from the Uniform Commercial Code called a warehouse receipt. And in that code and in that usage, the paper takes on the quality of the good and the good takes on a shadowy existence. That's straight out of a 1700s court case on these things. Okay. That's why, because now the paper represents you in this tangled web of commercial law. That's why they put it in an armed bank safe. Then they attach it because it's been collateralized and it's a warehouse receipt, they attach it to the bond issues. There is the money coming in on a regular basis that runs all governments. Okay? And if you go back, I'll get this call in a second, Sam. If you go back and look in Black's Law Dictionary, under villain, villain is a serf. Now, it's French. The word was brought over with William the Conqueror in the French conquest by the Normans. And it's spelled V-I-L-L-E-I-N, like villain, but it's pronounced English villain. So if you go to Black's Law Dictionary and look up the term villain, there'll be a number of different types. But the one that we think they're utilizing is called a villain regardant. Yikes, somebody's throwing stuff at me. A villain regardant. And the definition in Black's is a villain attached to the land property and transferable by deed the birth certificate and they take that birth certificate and attach it to those bonds and then the bondholders they may not always keep their bonds they may sell them okay but that warehouse receipt is attached as collateral to that bond attached to the land and transferable by deed so, a little background, fill in a few holes for some of you on that old English and the historical part of this. And uh, that is, to my knowledge, exactly what's going on. The birth certificate does not cause the condition. It does not generate the nexus, but it represents it, and it allows them to commercialize it. So, Sam, does a call come in there? James in Alaska. All right. Hey, James. How you doing, How you doing? Man? I'm I'm good, man. All right, cool. Hey, I was wondering if you'd ever uh, uh, got anything together for that letter that the uh, State Department has sent out I, to several. I countries. haven't. I'm still thinking about it, and I, I I get to a point where I wonder if you even should respond. Quite frankly, it's so nebulous, and uh, but I I do think about it just about every day. I just hadn't put anything on paper yet. Uh, I'll probably do that. I've got a. I've got a real good way to yank or chain. I've figured out a good way to approach it, so uh, I probably will do something along those lines. Okay, well, that, would that see, probably how, be on the matrixdocs.com? Yeah, oh, yeah, if we put it up there, that's where it'll be. Now, let me ask you a question of this, James, and this is one of the reasons I say it's almost not worth responding to. You know what she did when she sent that letter out? Yeah. She validated the receipt of the citizenship evidence, didn't she? But I got By, a green card from that anyway, so... <laughs> well, yeah, well, even if you didn't get the green card, once you put it in the mail system, it's considered received, okay? Right. So by her sending that letter out, especially the way they're doing it, all right, it really just it's, gives you an extra green card, <laughs> even better than a green card. You got yeah. some kind of response that validates it from inside the State Department. That's kind of a good deal, isn't it? I guess so. And I was wondering about calling them up and asking them for their uh, recorded stat, my status, what their record of my status is. Would uh, they're not going to tell I, you? 
they're not going to tell you, but I can tell you if you're anxious to do that, and some people are hell-bent to leather to do it, you want to do it via FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act request. So there's music, James. Hold on. Shiver out there in the boondocks of Alaska, and we'll be back in a minute and answer your question. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. In times like these, you can't depend on the government to keep you warm and fed, but you can depend on the Vermont Bun Baker to do just that. With the Vermont Bun Baker, you'll never be in a situation where you can't cook, bake, fry, boil water, or heat your home all at the same time. One of the most revolutionary cook stoves, wood stoves ever, the Vermont Bun Baker is available with or without soapstone veneer, a natural stone that retains heat and radiates it back into the room once the fire is out. A beautiful addition to your home, the Vermont Bun Baker has an efficiency rating well above 75% and qualifies for the wood stove tax credit. For more information, watch the Vermont Bun Baker on YouTube and live stream or visit us at www.vermontwoodstove.com. You can also reach us by calling 1-866-SOAPSTONE. Don't ever be hungry or cold because the power's gone out. With a Vermont Bun Baker, all you have to worry about is what's for dinner. American Freedom News is your daily website that will keep you fully informed on what both the good guys and bad guys are doing in the information war in which we are all engaged. Fed up with the lies of the fake news media and the censorship of big tech giants? American Freedom News is the solution as we provide truth and knowledge on all the vital issues of the day. American Freedom News believes in America first. The establishment wants us split into numerous hostile groups rather than uniting in a common cause against the corrupt oligarchy that is plundering America and the world. Many more Americans are waking up and realizing they are the victims of the ongoing Great Replacement and Great Reset. But the malevolent forces trying to systematically destroy America can and will be defeated. Be fully informed by reading American Freedom News, the best news and information site on the Internet. Go to AmericanFreedomNews.us and find out for yourself. That's AmericanFreedomNews.us. Did you know that essential oils have had a multitude of natural health and skin uses in history, but have been somewhat forgotten by recent civilization? Susanna's Secret offers 100% pure natural oils at prices you can actually afford. Do you have a house or office with a musty smell or mold? Studies have shown that essential oils like the one in our Thief and Robbers blend will kill or inhibit mold, viruses, bacteria, and fungus. Just diffuse with it and you will see the long-lasting effects that even synthetic chemicals don't achieve. Purifica, another one of our products used to clean and freshen your house or give a natural scent when drying laundry. For that special lady, we offer a ginger argan oil in a beautiful cosmetic bottle or a pure argan oil, a natural acne-fighting product. Check us out at SusannaSecret.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-A-S Secret.com. S-U-S-A-N-A-S Secret.com. All right, Sam, let's see if we can get that potted down and get back to James, my Alaskan buddy. James, refresh my memory. Are you the one of our Alaskan callers that lives in the Kenai Peninsula? I'm the one. All right. Whereabouts in the Kenai Peninsula you live? Uh, down in uh, central. Right, Kenai. Okay. Halfway okay. between Kenai and Homer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, I've spent many, many days of my youth right in that area, buddy. It's a mighty pretty part of the world. You're a lucky man. Um, If you want to get your nationality satisfied, that's what they've done, okay, Uh, you need to do that with a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request. But there's a couple of caveats if you want to do that that you need to know about, okay? And that is every agency. You know where FOIA comes from? Do you know the background here? Uh, Refresh me. Well, it it came out of Watergate, actually. And all of the hubbub and furor around transparency of government, and there's a couple of pretty important pieces of legislation passed back then. FOIA was one of them that came out of it. And the other one's called the Paperwork Reduction Act, which means that any 
agency that puts out what they uh, have defined as a public information gathering request uh, has to have an OMB number and has to go through a very stringent OMB check on what the document serves, its purposes, what it really is, and all that stuff. You should see the definition, and I wish I could remember it. You should see the definition from the Office and Management and Budget on a 1040 form. It talks about something recapture property. Uh, it, it's real vague and nondescript. But regardless, those are two things that came out of Watergate. Um, both of them still with us today. Both of them very important. Uh, so every agency up there, and there's over 600 of them now, James, every one of those agencies has a Freedom of Information Act officer, person that fields these requests. Okay, So you as a citizen or a national, have the ability to go to that Freedom of Information Act officer and send them a request. But if you do, you've got to be very specific. You can't give general questions or things you're looking for. You know, like send it in and say, send me everything in my administrative file. Well, they're not going to do that. They're going to send you back an answer and say, We're, it's non-responsive. Okay? So what you need to do if you're going to do that is you need to frame it very specifically in things like, please send me all copies of any documents having to do with citizenship evidence, for one, okay? Or please send any and all relevant documents uh, pertaining to citizenship evidence and passport application or issuance. Something like that. Very specific, though. Okay? And they'll send it back to you, and I just about guarantee you it's in there. All right? Because you, well, know how I, you know how I know it's in there? You got one of those letters. Yeah. Well, you could probably send a letter back to that lady that sent that letter and ask her for the FOIA. Yeah. Mrs. Robinson, you know. I wanted to open the letter and say, Miss Robinson, I just got one word for you. Plastics. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about sending a general one that says, uh, please uh, provide me with the information uh, of how many documents are in my no, administrative no, file? I, I, don't, I don't know they're going to answer that. Your, your request, your answer, your, what you're looking for is to make sure that your, your affidavit's in your citizenship file. If it is, they've got you correctly denoted, okay? So that's what you're after. Don't stray off and get in the weeds. Stay specific and get what's in there and satisfy your itch. Well, how about how about their recognition of such? Well, they're, they're, they're not going to send you that because that's not in your administrative folder. That's their records. Right. So, In other words, they've gone, you know, they've, James. They've gone to incredible lengths to hide this. Would right. you agree with that? I agree. Okay. So when here, here's some of the instances we've had. So let's say you've applied for a passport with your affidavit and your process, and that you want to make sure it's back correctly. So, or you get into some situation after you get back your passport ID where that comes up, you know. And so I've had it come up a few times, not with me personally, but with listeners and stuff, all right? Uh, and we found, because they have an internal list, it's on our website, of the different numerical designations. And it's mainly you can identify it easier on passport cards, okay, because it's right. printed right there on the card. And, for instance, the one that people seem to desire the most is an 09. And an 09, if you go into their definitions, is a national. Okay. But yet it says at the bottom of that field where it's got the description, it says non-citizen national too. So it's got both of them covered there. All right. Now, we've had other people come back and say I was listed as a diplomatic courier. <laughs> Seven, I think it's 70, 77 maybe. Uh, anyway, another one came back. They were listed as an ambassador at large. Now, why would they do that? Because they've gone to great lengths to hide this. When some government official pulls up your profile, there's not a box that said, uh-oh, James on the Kenai Peninsula caught us. He's a national. They've got to hide it. That's what they did with the American Samoans. They left them with their natural rights and then took the state citizen, changed it to national, and hid it behind them. Do you know today, James, in American Samoa, if you have an abortion, they can arrest you for murder? Yeah. 
Sounds reasonable. Sounds like the way it ought to be. <laughs> like, yeah, reasonable. Now, okay. I've got two passports. Not two passports, but one passport and one card. One of them, the passport itself was done before I changed my status. The okay. card was done after I changed my status. Okay. So here, Pre- technically, you've got two government-issued IDs, the highest considered a form of ID in the land, in two different legal personalities. So would you not want to use the passport? No. Pre- no. You mean the book? See, the only reason you need a book is when you're traveling internationally so they can put visa stamps in there. That's right. why you can't travel on a card outside of Canada, Mexico, and the Caribbean. All right? Right. But uh, the only reason you need a book is to get visa stamps. Right. But they both uh, would tie back to the same status? Oh, well, they're back to the Well, yours won't. One of them will tie back to your slave status, and the new, the card, will tie back to your national status. See, that's what I said. Like you got two two different legal personalities here. In other words, so what's your le- what's your legal personality? Your legal personality is from where you get your rights and to whom you owe your duties. One of yours, you do it to the federal government. The other one in the card, you do it with God. You're two different legal persons there. So I get rid of that one that uh, you let it expire. What, what do you want to get rid of it for? So you superseded it. Well, you're, you superseded it with the affidavit and the card. But let's put it this way. If you were going to come down here and take me out to lunch in Ecuador, I'd hate for you to have to spend 130 or $40 just to get a new book under your new legal personality to do that when using the old one wouldn't have any effect on, on your trip at all. Uh-huh. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay, so and then uh, should a person decide to not renew their driver's license... Um, yes. How would you go about getting insurance? Well, that's a good question. Some of our people, and I didn't know this till a listener called in, do you know that you can go get a bond that will suffice for your insurance? And I've instead heard about it, that. It's, I think you can get a $25,000 bond for $50 a year. How much are you paying in insurance? Oh, a lot more than that. About 300 okay. a year, I think. So anyway, there's an option right there. Uh, you could choose to be self-insured. I kind of uh, looked at uh, the uh, requirements on that. You had to be a company or, gosh, I don't, I don't recall the exact specifics, but it seemed like it was a uh, corporation or a company-related thing as far as the bond goes, you know. I don't know. Call, talk to your local insurance agent. The guy that called into us had been having one for years, and he'd done it through his local insurance agent. That's all I know. But... James, I got a couple other callers that are back here, up here, and I don't want to uh, not get to them. And I love, to, you know, having social intercourse with you because you're an old Alaskan boy. You probably put a bunch of salmon in the freezer over the years up there, I'd guess. And uh, so I'll uh, listen. Call back in and go do a little search and thinking on that. And uh, if you want to get the FOIA, go to the State Department website, and the FOIA officer will be listed. Okay. Thanks for your time, Roger. Okay, James. Have a good day up there. All right, you do. All right. Sam, who's next? A couple people called in. All right. Let's see if we can get Edward up and on on the spotlight, as they say. Hey, Edward, how are you doing this evening? Uh, good, Roger. Um, yeah, this is Edward from Michigan. Um, sent my uh, affidavit in. Uh, Congratulations. On the, on the, yeah, thank you. And I didn't get my green card back yet from Washington. Well, got, it, got it back from oh. Lansing. Okay. Oh, you got it. You. Oh, okay. Well, it'll get back. Or sometimes they lose them. You know, it's just one sheet of paper in the way mails handle stuff. Sometimes it gets stuck in a magazine or something. People don't get them. But you're fortunate though, because in our system, when you put it in that mail system, whether it was certified, return receipt, requested or not, it's considered received. So good for you. All right. All right. Um, God, I got something in the mail like right right after that, and I got a question on that. All right, uh, what'd you it, get? Was it was from Mrs. Robinson? <laughs> no, no, it had nothing to do with that yet. I haven't received anything from anybody, really. Um, but from the state, you know, I'm a uh, registered repair facility. And, I, you know, they okay. want me to give them about 300 bucks. Um, and it's in my corporate name. 
So I'm kind of confused as to whether that applies to me or not. Well, you know, no, 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 the no, no, a, no, it, re, it refers to the corporation. I'm sure if that's what it's addressed to, that they're a legal person. That's who you registered as a corporation, not you, right? Right. Your register is probably one of the principals in the corporation when you incorporated and formed it, right? Correct. Correct. But you're not the corporation. I'd say go ahead and pay them the fee and go on about your business. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was just—I was just kind of thinking. Well, do I fight this or you know? The, you know, we—we are—we are Edward in the land of the the land of the slave and the home of the fee. After all, you know. Right. Right. Okay. And then, um, you know, one of the things that's kind of you know, coming up in my mind as I'm thinking through some of these things, you know, specifically the driver's license stuff and whatnot, is you know I want to be a correct, uh, belligerent uh, type of person, and. But I, can you recommend a book as to how to do, like, filings and stuff like that? You know, I, let's say they send me this or that. Is there something that no, well, say, here's how uh, you respond I, to that? Well, I can give you a, a, a pretty good resource possibly for you. You need to go do a little of the research on your own. Have right. you ever heard of NOLO, Nolo Press? N-O-L-O Press? No, I have not. Well, they're they're a pretty good outfit, actually, and what they do is is print and sell how-to legal books, how okay. to do your own divorce, how to do your own bankruptcy, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And they're they're associated, believe it or not, they're associated with the University of California at Berkeley. Okay, but yep. they've got a wealth of books on how to do legal stuff. They're very good. They're very simplified. Okay, so you may want to check over there. I don't know of any other real resource. The Patriot community's okay. got all kind of scuttlebutt going around. We talk about it on the show, on my regular show, because it comes up occasionally. We probably right. spend too much time on it. See, my objective is to get you where you never have to go into court, okay? Because they right. don't have any jurisdiction on you, so you don't have to learn all that stuff. See, okay, so that's the value of what we do. But all right. learn the information. Have command of the information, Edward. That's where your freedom is. Okay. Yeah. And then on my cover letters, you know, I was kind of right, I be, began to write the cover letter to the, my sheriff, and I realized, you know, my original cover letter to the United States Secretary of State was way too minimal. I mean, okay. I didn't get well, all well, that well, stuff that you, you told me about. Okay. Well, you know, what just, you want to do, first of all, let me stop you right there. If you're going to, you don't want to write an individual letter to your chief of police or sheriff, you want to write one to that wonderful wonderful attorney general you've got up there. Yeah, I, I, took, the state. I took care of those two same day. Okay, well, you need to copy all those local people in with that and have the law of agency statement at the top so they're locked together under the laws of agency. That way, should your local DA, for example, hypothetical here, should your local DA get, you get a speeding ticket and he puts it on the docket, Mm-hmm. Now, because he's been put on notice, he loses his cloak of immunity because he's acting outside of his delegated responsibilities okay, so. and jurisdiction, and now he becomes personally liable. But wait, there's more. If you've done it properly and notified the AG of your state and linked those people in through CCs, now when the DA does that, the attorney general loses her cloak of immunity, too. Okay. Is that va- Don't you have a vegetarian up there as the uh, attorney general? Or is that <laughs> is that the secretary? It's Dana, or, Dana, or, Nessel, or both. Dana Nessel. Oh, that's the AG. Yeah. Yeah, she's a vegetarian. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. So anyway, I think she's so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll reserve I'll reserve my comments. Um, okay. So anyway, Edward, did that get you taken care of, buddy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always more, you know, how that goes. Um, I, I, boy, do I know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to get a copy, you know, in, in John's book, he recommended, uh, he said, everybody should read A.V. Dicey, I, I think it's D-I-C-E-Y, The Development of Administrative Law in England. Oh man, well, I, I, and I tried to get a copy of that, and I'm having a real hard time. That's got to be an important document because that's how they're doing everything is administrative law. That's what the French Revolution brought in. 
It had been tried in Rome and pioneered a bit, but when they did the French Revolution, in fact, that's where the word comes from, bureaucrat. If you don't know that, and heard me say that, um, after the French Revolution, they installed an administrative state of these bureaucrats. And the way you could tell a bureaucrat was because he had burlap on his desk as a desk covering. And burlap in French is bureau. And that's where the word bureaucrat comes from. <laughs> that's good. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, do, do you have any idea how I might find that, or do I just keep digging? No, I'm, no I guess just keep digging. I've never even heard of it before, but it sure be a good read, and I'm sure it's got full of gems. But, yeah, the administrative states, how, see, because now they can get unelected bureaucrats in there to make man-made laws. That's what the agencies do. They promulgate regulations called public policy for the serfs. And it's just it's supposed to be an interpretation of legislative law that the administrative state. There was a very important court case that just came down ruling in the Fifth Circuit. Some of you probably saw this real, real, real sharp black guy. I believe his name's Carhart or Carhill. He's got a gun shop there in Austin. And he just won a big case on this bump stock issue at the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans. So the ruling applies to Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. All right. And the way they're attacking this is they're going after the BATF for not having previous legislation on bump stocks that they then promulgated a regulation on. They just promulgated the regulation on it so the administrative agency is making law. And they got a 13 to 3 ruling at the Fifth Circuit on that. It's probably going to the Supreme Court. Okay. But because there was no un underpinning legislation and the BATF, as hungry as they are to get the guns, that they did this and they caught them, the same thing basically happened with the mask mandate in that case in mid-central district of Florida about a year ago where they overturned the CDC's mask, date because, mask mandate because the CDC promulgated and was enforcing that under a regulation that was only an interpretive regulation and only technically applied to the CDC. So they took that interpretive regulation and put it out and made it apply to everybody. That's why it got overturned in that court. They're tricky little bastards. I'm telling you, we're dealing with the sneakiest, <laughs> sneakiest sons of Satan have ever walked the earth today. Yeah. Okay. Can I just recap one thing because I'm so a little confused? So when well, I hurry, my... because okay, go ahead. I got another caller. I don't want to leave hanging. So go, hurry. Okay. All right. When I send a letter to my AG, I go carbon copy all these other people. I just send them a copy of that. You send you send them a copy of what you sent her. Okay. All right. Bye. My affidavit and the cover letter. The short cover letter. Please find the, my citizenship evidence now on file with the Secretary of State of the United States of America. Please adjust your records accordingly. Something to that effect. Okay. All right. All right. Pretty right. simple. Much. Sorry to take you okay. so long. Oh, that's okay, man. It's okay. Good to talk with you up there. Appreciate it. Okay, Sam, who's, uh, who's the tail gunner here today? Sam. Al in Missouri, bring Al forward and straight, right here front and center, Al. Hey, uh, Roger, how's it going? Good, Al. How are you? Question you for you. Good. I live in a farm here in Missouri, and about every five years, census for agriculture, and it says your response is required by law. Okay. Required to what respond to that. Yeah, you're required to only tell them how many people live in the household. Okay. They ask you a bunch of other questions. You're not required to answer that. Well, I didn't open it up to see if they wanted to know how many is in the household. But well, it's one of the questions. Unless I, you say an agricultural census, I'm not totally I've, – I've never been a farmer. I'm not sure if that's different from the regular census or not. But well, it's generally, not the regular census. Only, Okay, well, your only obligation is to tell them how many people are in the household. It's from the okay. USDA. Well, that's it okay. Comes out every since, five years. Census, census is in the Constitution. It's got legitimate reasons for it. But you don't. they don't have to ask you all those other questions. You know, if you've got a gas stove, how many guns you got in the house, whatever else they're asking you there, all you're required to do is tell them how many people live in the house. Okay. All right? 
Yeah, it's unbelievable the amount of time you have to spend on this thing because I, I think it's like an hour. They want to know everything you do in the farm, and yep, it's yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Well, and now that may be different from a regular one. Uh, again, Al, I don't know. I have specific knowledge of this agricultural one, but I'll tell you what. All they can do is come back on you. I'd I'd mark it, tell them how many people are in the house, and send it back to them. If they come back trying to demand more information, unless there's some stipulations involved with you having a farm, which it shouldn't be. Have you already got? Have you got an affidavit in, Al? Yes. Well, if they come back and ask you more, tell them you're a national. Go fly a kite. Okay. All right. All right. Appreciate your help. Okay. Hope you have a good crop this year. <laughs> okay. All right. What do you grow, Al? Well, we got a couple of minutes here. What do you grow? Mostly corn and soybeans. Our, uh, that's summer crops, right? I also have cattle. I see. Well, how's the farm business going these days? Oh, pretty rough, just like everything else. Everything costs a lot. Prices are up. Fertilizer's crazy. Right. Well, hang in there, Al. We need our farmers. But I think the future's going to be shifting back to more local co-op type organizations and stuff. So maybe y'all are exploring a way to set systems like that up because that's going to be a big need here, maybe quicker than we want it to be. So, okay, got anything else, Al? Anything I can help you with? Not that I can think of right now. I'll probably call in again. Okay, well, we'll entertain your call should you call, okay? Thanks. Right. Nice to talk to you. Okay. You too. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Ciao, ciao. So we got, I don't know, a minute here or so before Sam starts the music on us, and we'll back out of here for another closed Sunday edition. I hope that uh, that little in-depth dialogue we went into on the birth certificate and the way this whole thing is set up and how it operates gives you a little in additional insight into this and who our enemies are and, more importantly, how they do things, you know. Uh, Sun Tzu, the famous Chinese general, it's only 2,000 years old here, said basically, I'm paraphrasing, you know, if you know yourself but you don't know your enemy, you've only got 50% chance of winning any battle. If you know your enemy but you don't know yourself, you've only got a 50% chance of winning any battle. But if you don't know yourself and you don't know your enemy, you've got a 100% chance of not winning any battle. And you see, that's the position that they've put us in. We don't know who we are, and we don't know how they are, and most of us certainly don't understand how they think. We know it's perverted. We, Some of us understand that it's dialectical, don't understand the full extent of that. But we need to know how the enemy thinks, and you learn that by studying them historically, really. But once you get how they think, they can't beat you. Because everything they do is based on fraud. And even with the might that they have, the most powerful, wealthiest people that have ever walked the face of the earth, they're all in one place right now, over there in Davos, Switzerland. Okay, Those people can't stand up against you telling them what you are. They want to get rid of God. They hate God. But they can't beat him. And that's evidenced by the fact that they still can't tell you what you are, or that's tyranny. And it's real important, big concepts to grasp, okay? And there's our empowerment. And that's the problem with most Americans, a lot of people that come into this, is they keep thinking they got to ask permission to leave. It's not their choice, or that's tyranny. It's your choice. Learn the information. Take advantage of it. Get yourself free from this devil system. We're on six days a week over there on our place. You want to go get information? TheMatrixDocs.com. TheMatrixDocs.com. Hope to see you over on the Radio Ranch normal platform. And if not, I'll see you here next week. Thank you, Sam. Tune in Saturday mornings, 8 to 10 Central, to the Alternative Media with your host, Farron. If you've not been listening, this is some of what you've been missing. 2,000 mules, like you like you like to say occasionally, Farron, in your face. They, they, they might have a, a set of lactating mammaries available that could provide milk for their adopted children. 
complicit news media all pulling off this gigantic fraud. Rhino neocon cucks. There's this wonderful thing that's called Vote With Your Feet. Move to California. I am a conspiracy factualist and everyone else is reality theorist. Hundreds, if not thousands, of ships came out of nowhere. Give me liberty or let's give you death. Any excuse to go in and kill yourself for this 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 fraud of a government. This goes back a hundred years. When they come for your gold, give them a lead. And when they come for your guns, give them the bullets first. And God help us all. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Truth, truth, truth.